Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number one of Revelation chapter 17. And we're going to be reading the first two verses, Revelation 17 beginning in the first verse. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Well, um, in this chapter, God is going to begin discussing Babylon once again, and he's going to look at Babylon in the sense of Satan's rule throughout the history of the world since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And uh, so there will be several references to the great whore and to the harlot and, and language like that. And that's because that sin is spiritual fornication or spiritual adultery. It is unfaithfulness towards God. Uh, we can think of sin in the same way um, that adultery or fornication breaks a marriage relationship and, and there's transgression in the marriage. Well, uh, spiritually, God joined together mankind created in his image with his law. Man was placed under the law. And right from the very beginning, God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of that one particular tree. wasn't a great deal of law, just a single law from all we can tell. And and yet man was under that law. They were subject to obey it. And they failed to obey. And at that point, spiritual adultery entered in as Adam and Eve obeyed Satan. They obeyed the lie rather than the truth. And that's the basis of idolatry. It's the basis of serving other gods. It's the basis of spiritual harlotry. And I think we'll see that's why here in Revelation 17, as God is leading up to the discussion of Babylon, um, actually he says in verse 5 of this chapter, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Why is Babylon the mother? The mother is the one who brings forth the child. And was the church uh, full of spiritual fornication? Absolutely. Was Israel of old 
full of spiritual fornication in disobeying the commandments of God? Absolutely. But the mother of harlots, they are harlots, but there was a mother that gave birth to them, that generated them. And that goes further back. That goes back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden, to Satan, when his kingdom was first established. And his kingdom was established through the conquest, the deceitful, underhanded dealings, uh, as he dealt subtly as the serpent with our first parents and deceived them. And through that defeat of them, where they disobeyed God, they transgressed his law and obeyed the devil. And in that act, they became subservient to sin and to Satan. They were taken captive by him at his will. And the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness began at that point. The mother was created. Satan is the father of lies. His kingdom is the mother of harlots. And and so this is why Babylon is used of God. It, it's it's the uh, name of the kingdom, the the designation that God has applied to the evil rule of Satan throughout time, and it goes back to the very beginning. And it's why in Revelation 18 that God says in verse 24, speaking of Babylon, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. And in other places, God even goes back to Abel unto Zacharias. And 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 he seems to be applying it to the uh, Jewish nation in the book of uh, Matthew. And, and we have taken that to... Uh, further apply it to the church, but we wonder how is the church involved with the blood of Abel? Or how even is Israel involved with the blood of Abel? Abel died early on towards the very beginning of this creation, and why is God holding them accountable? Well, it's Babylon who is the mother of harlots, who was around at the very beginning of the fall of man, that's when Babylon was established, and and that's why Babylon is held accountable and responsible for Abel, and for all the other saints, yes, even the saints that died through Israel or Judah, and the saints that died throughout the entire period of the church age, because it was Babylon that gave birth to those harlots that that committed such fornication against God's law and and were and dealt unfaithfully um, with the gospel and with the people of God and 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 so forth. It it all goes back to um, this first harlot, and as far as we can trace it, that leads us 
right back to the very beginning. To uh, the fall of man, yes, but the fall of Satan to uh, begin it all, and and the the angels that fell with him, they would be the first ones involved in spiritual fornication, in spiritual adultery against the law of God. Well, here in Revelation 17, verse 1, it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me. So God is uh, telling us that it's a continuation from what we read in Revelation 15 concerning the seven angels that came out of the temple. And the seven angels were given the seven last vials full of the wrath of God, and they poured it out in the previous chapter, in chapter 16. And now here comes one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. And I I think we can understand when God specifically says there's one of the seven, and um, I, at least there there is this element to it, that that amongst the seven, the seven angels or messengers represent the true believers because they were clothed in fine white linen, Revelation 15 told us, and they were attired in priestly garments to perform priestly duties of pouring out the wrath of God, which is the sacrifice, the judgment of mankind, God views as a sacrifice, and it's the priests that offer up the sacrifices. And and yet amongst them, in the midst of them, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is with his people. He's judging the world with them. And and so it, it's very possible uh, that this one of the seven messengers is speaking or referring to Christ as well as his people. Now we we have a related account, a related historical, or it's not actually historical, it, it's an Old Testament parable in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 9, it says in verse 2, And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north. And every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And then it says in verse 4, And Jehovah said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men, that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eye spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Now this is a historical parable, uh, that is an Old Testament parable, that is picturing the judgment upon the church. And notice, six men come who have slaughter weapons, 
and one man among them is clothed with linen, and he has a writer's inkhorn by his side, and he's commanded to go and put a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry. It, it's the the mark of um, being sealed with God's salvation is what it's pointing to. And so God is using sort of similar language to describe the judgment on the churches. There were, um, it, it appears to be seven men. The way that it this is written, it's difficult to tell because it says six men with slaughter weapons, one man among them. Now we could think one among the six, and meaning there's a total of six, but this this other man who's among them has uh, it, there's no mention of a slaughter weapon, but rather he has a writer's inkhorn. So it appears to be six men with a slaughter weapon, one man with the writer's inkhorn who would point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who sets the mark or the seal of God that protects certain ones from the judgment that came upon the house of God, the judgment that came on the churches at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. None of God's elect were harmed. Everyone else was spiritually, but not one of his elect because they had the mark uh, in their forehead indicating that their minds were renewed. They had new hearts and new spirits. And and so one among them, and that's why I think it may be here in Revelation 17.1, there came one of the seven messengers which had the seven vials. And it, it would appear Christ was with his fellow servants in um, the Ezekiel 9 account, and Christ is also counted amongst the seven messengers as as he moves and wills within them to uh, do his good pleasure. It's always God who gets the glory. It's always God who stirs his people up, that prompts us, that, that moves us to do uh, the things he would have us to do in the direction of his will. And, and this was the case in the day of salvation when the gospel went forth and, and the true believers carried it into the world. It's why God says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings of good news. And then in another, uh, there's one, um, statement like that in Isaiah and there's another statement in Romans and I get them mixed up one says the feet of them the other says the feet of him singular because as the people of God go forth or went forth with the gospel Christ went forth likewise as the people of God typified by the seven messengers clothed in fine white linen the righteousness of saints Go forth carrying these seven vials full of the seven last plagues. Christ goes forth. It, it is the same thing. As we go about the reaping process, he is the reaper. And just as we went about the sowing, he was the sower in the parable of the sower. The, the son of man is the one who sows the seed. Yet, of course... How it worked out 
is that it was the true believers. And it could be why there were six men, as the number six points to work, that had the slaughter weapon. They they uh, did the good work, and, and I know it's, uh, it, it's a little unusual to think of slaughtering a good work, but anything done in obedience to the command of God is a good work. It, it's a work that God has ordained for us to walk in. Well, anyway, let, let's go back here, and, and I think we can see true believers and Christ in view as there came one of the seven messengers, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And uh, again, since we looked at verse 5, we know the great whore is Babylon. And what what are these waters that she's sitting upon? Well, uh, all we have to do is go over to verse 15 of Revelation 17. And it says there, as, as God explains, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the the waters represent these four things, people, multitudes, nations, tongues, and each one's a different way of saying people, the, the inhabitants of the earth, mankind, and the number four points to universality. Uh, it, it's the furthest extent of all the world that Babylon is reigning over. Babylon is not just a kingdom um, that, that was over there historically north of Israel. No, Babylon represents the entire kingdom of Satan, which consists of all the nations of the world, all of the unsaved people of the earth, and so the the great whore, uh, the one who is the mother of harlots, it all began with her, and uh, Satan, the father of lies, initiated it, and his kingdom developed, and and all fornication, spiritual fornication, flows from that very beginning point, and. Now, though, it's the time of the end, and God is saying to the Apostle John, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And let's look at one passage. The the word whore, uh, the Greek word, is um, 4204. And it's also translated as um, harlot, uh, 4204, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 and 16. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ to make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. So that's the same word translated as whore. Now it is closely related to 4205. 
And if you look in Strong's Concordance, you can see the similarity in the spelling and so forth. And this word is translated as fornicator in 1 Corinthians 5. It says in verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Now this is helpful because it tells us that a fornicator can be someone of the world or a fornicator can be a brother, someone in the church. Physical fornication, that can be true. And spiritually, spiritual fornication um, can be done by um, a person of the world as they worship another god. They're, they're not in the church, but they bow down to another kind of God. That's spiritual fornication. Or it can be done simply secularly through um, seeking after sinful pleasure, as the world does. And that could be considered spiritual fornication. And and so um, the, the church uh, has many more commandments and a closer relationship with God now, since God, um, or not not at this time, but over the, the period when God selected uh, the church to be his outward representation to the people of the world over this nearly 2,000-year period, well, yes, then they were involved in more episodes of spiritual fornication because they had more opportunity. Likewise with Israel of old. But again, spiritual fornication goes way back. Way back. Remember when Adam and Eve um, were created. They had a close personal relationship with God. They were God's representatives of this world. The only representatives... Um, there was nobody else alive. So God had that close relationship with them. And it was fornication, spiritual adultery, the, the breaking of the law. And the Bible says we're married to the law in Romans chapter 7. And, and if we're married to the law, the law demands obedience. And when we go outside or transgress the law, then we have strayed, we have been unfaithful, we have been disobedient, we have been uh, or acted like a spiritual harlot. And that's why the law then is um, able and, and does demand that we be stoned to death as an unfaithful wife because we have committed adultery against the law of God, so the law demands and requires our death. And of course, that's where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in, as he died for the sake of his people, and, and thus satisfied the demands of the law of God 
on behalf of his elect. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.